This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. A heads up to our listeners that this episode is being recorded remotely, therefore the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the latest in our Reg Talks podcast series. We are featuring a variety of different topics that are currently trending in regulation, and we now explore the evolving funds landscape through the lens of the trustee and depository. Introducing the topic is HSBC's Security Services Senior Product Manager for Global Trustee and Fiduciary Services, Very Sandeman. Very. Over to you. Thank you, Gabriella. We have seen a multitude of positive advancements in the funds landscape over previous years, with new and strengthened regulation to protect investors and financial markets. And more recently, there have been growing trends, including digital assets, a focus on ESG goals and requirements, and a growth in private asset investment. The depository, or trustee as it is sometimes classified as, has a unique lens on these developments. They have both a view over the asset management and security services industry, as well as being responsible for protecting the investors' interests in these schemes, and of course, helping to protect market integrity. Joining me to explore this topic further today from the trustee and depository perspective, I'm therefore delighted to be joined by my colleague, Ronnie Griffin, Global Head of Trustee and Fiduciary Services for HSBC Security Services. Ronnie, a very warm welcome to you and thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Fari. Thanks for inviting me and great to talk to you. Thanks, Ronnie. And focusing our lens on Asia first, are there any developing themes there that you would pick out that are specific to the region? Yeah, as, as ever, there's lots of activity across the Asian markets with good initiatives in trade. Clearly, China continues to be a focus for many managers for the longer term. The opportunity of the Greater Bay Area is a significant opportunity for the asset management sector. And for example, the current GDP already equals that of South Korea and Canada combined. It's expected to grow two and a half times by 2030. Stock Connect schemes, they're well established now and are part of the infrastructure, and they continue to support higher and higher volumes year and year. And we see further additions with the likes of ETF Connect. There are major changes happening in the market in Hong Kong. The development of the EMPF initiative for the pensions market, which aims to streamline and automate member scheme administration across the board. A significant amount of work is underway in this space for the industry to plan and execute the changes in this space in the market. And the first phases of onboarding to EMPF are now commencing and the remainder will happen over the next two to three years. Singapore, as you know, Vary, through your other podcasts, continues to grow. We see VCC continuing to attract a lot of interest and attention, both for retail and private funds. And the regional passporting schemes continue to flourish gradually. Thanks, Ronnie. Some really key developments there in Asia then. And moving to Europe, again, are we seeing specific factors there that are unique to the region? Well, I guess... 2021 and beyond, the joy of AFMD2 is ahead of us, and I suppose we're in the middle of that at the moment. The proposals most recently published in November 21, and during 2022, we'll see the Commission look at the proposals, which will be subject to scrutiny at Parliament and European Council. We expect the effective date of AFMD2 to be 
2025. Much of the proposed changes focus on the delegation models, which are of interest both to manufacturers and fund service providers alike. Also, there are changes to third country marketing, the harmonization for loan origination fund rules, as well as the mooted cross-border depository service, I won't say passport, which should attract the, well, it should facilitate the attractiveness of certain jurisdictions which have not had enough um, local depository competition or providers in their market. We'd also expect AIFMD too, or some of the proposals in that to flow into USITs in, in time. In addition, there's a lot more to come on EU Capital Markets Union. We're seeing progress on the European Single Access Point, the development of the LTIF, the European Long-Term Investment Funds, as well as a huge amount of developments on the sustainable finance agenda. And as with all things Brexit, we're continuing to see differences now emerge between the UK and the rest of Europe in terms of direction on fund regulations, ESG being one example of that, as well as some of the initiatives to make the UK a more attractive domicile for funds. So plenty to watch in this space. Indeed, Ronnie, thank you. That'll be really interesting to see how all that evolves. Now, Turning to look at some of the global themes now that we touched on earlier, and I'd like to pick up first on ESG. Is the consumer and regulatory-led focus on ESG goals bringing opportunities to the fund sector? And on the contrary, Ronnie, is it posing any particular challenges? Yes, Farry, I think, I think it's actually both. There's clearly demand from all investor types for different types of sustainable finance, funds, investment strategies, etc., some of our clients have had ESG considerations built into their investment process for some time, as well as into their products, while others have been adapting, changing the products to meet some of those requirements and some of the investor-led demand. As the demand has increased, regulators in particular have been focused on ensuring that the labels and terminology attached to funds are clear and are not misleading on their ESG credentials so-called greenwashing that's attracting a lot of media coverage. So, for example, whilst EU taxonomy regulation under SFDR has assisted with the classification of funds with different ESG characteristics, Articles 8 and 9 under SFDR, some providers have attracted some general regulatory and media criticism for promoting these classifications or labels for marketing purposes for their products. Core challenges on the use of the EU environmental taxonomy revolve around uncertainty on the final scope of the taxonomy, limitations in data, and some practical difficulties in interpreting the data. Whilst the focus of ESG globally is seen as positive, the quantum of consultations across the jurisdictions is absolutely huge. For example, across 2021, a recent count showed that more than 34 regulatory bodies undertook ESG consultations last year alone. So whilst the convergence of regulations is occurring, fragmentation exists driven by local and regional priorities. Thanks, Ronnie. That's such a crucial area for the future and obviously a significant amount of developments uh, going on there. And just moving the conversation along, we touched earlier on private assets, which of course has links to ESG investment. We've seen some recent regulatory changes for investment in this area with a new long-term asset fund, the LTAF in the UK, and the proposed amendments to the European Long-Term Investment Fund, or LTIF, which you mentioned earlier too. 
Ronnie, are you seeing this investor demand increasing for private asset investment globally? And do you think this is a trend that is likely to continue? Well, we're probably seeing the demand coming from our clients or the managers, so to speak. We're seeing the demand from them because they see the demand from the end investors. So it's a trend we see continuing across the globe. Historically, private assets, so more institutional-based investors, but with attractive long-term returns on offer, more non-institutional investors are seeking to invest and diversify their portfolios in this space. The other side of it is governments have been looking at ways to fund economic activity, particularly post-pandemic, and attract funds from the pension pots towards longer-term asset classes. And this has been the holy grail for policymakers. And as you mentioned, Barry, LTAFs and LTIFs, they have a role to play in this. Many of the initiatives within this space are closely aligned to building back greener, whereby investment into infrastructure or developments that can support climate goals and a shift to carbon neutrality are a priority. The UK LTAF, for example, was specifically set up to assist capital to be more confidently invested in liquid assets such as VC and infrastructure. The LTIF in Europe has been around since 2015, has seen about 70 vehicles set up, um, which is relatively low. Um, But there's been certain proposals made at the end of last year, which hopefully will make that vehicle more attractive for both sponsors and investors. So time will tell whether the real growth stories emerge in this space. Thanks very much, Ronnie, and I will be exploring the ELTA further. Now, we can't ignore in our discussion today the rapid advances we've seen in technology over recent years. For example, DLT, AI and digital assets. Whilst many regulators have been keen to harness the benefits and encourage innovation, they have also been responding to ensure market and investor protection and operational and cyber resilience. Ronnie, what's your perspective on these developments from the trustee and depository viewpoint? Well, the technologies themselves are exciting. For us as a depository, some of these technologies allow us to do our roles better, more efficiently, and use the power of those tools. Others are clearly focused on the asset types that we support. So, for example, we've seen a lot more technology-based solutions on the market, purely servicing the depository worlds, and they utilize AI, reporting, analytics, and monitoring software purely focused on the likes of cash flow monitoring, asset verification, portfolio monitoring. On the digital asset side that you mentioned, Barry, like ultimately, we as a depository or a trustee, we're driven by the regulations of the jurisdiction in which we operate in. And that obviously defines how the products are ultimately governed, the rules attached to them, etc. We can rightly see that regulators want to focus on investor protection prior to permitting certain forms of digital assets in regulated fund structures, particularly where retail investors are involved. Again, certain assets, certain digital assets are receiving a lot of focus in the media and across regulators. For example, we've seen recently the FSB raise concerns, future threats to global financial stability due to the increasing interconnectedness with certain digital currencies to the traditional finance system. Regulatory clarity has been great, though, and we've seen, for example, in the crypto space, we've seen announcements from the CSSF in relation to what can be permitted in uh, Luxembourg AIF structures in terms of defined rules for protect professional investor funds. And then the 20% rule that's, that's been in place from a Germany perspective for special funds. So again, clarity is helpful and it helps managers and investors understand what's permissible. 
Um, clearly, there's been a, a focus on the regulators trying to align positions, and we've seen a number of global regional regulators trying to join up their thinking and their regulatory alignment. And most recently across Europe, we clearly have the MICA regulation, which again, I think you've covered on other podcasts. It's a positive step in the right direction. More to come here, I think, Barry. Thanks, Ronnie, and I'll definitely be keeping a close watch on the space. Now, looking back over some of these themes we've covered today, it strikes me that it's still vitally important that you have the right people in place for this. Ronnie, have you seen a shift at all in the skill set required in the industry? Yeah, it's a good question, Barry. Clearly, there is a change. It, it, it's probably not one over the, just over the last six or 12 months, but more an, an evolution in the industry. Um, it's clearly been a theme of what we discussed today between a focus on data and digital skills. That's important, but we can't get away from the fact that you need technical skills as well to deal with the, the risk and the regulation, and that remains critical. So for me, I think having a mixed team with a variety of skills remains the ideal recipe. So it's important that we have the technical experts working alongside the data experts, and one can't really operate without the other. I think the other common point that we've we've touched on today is how the nature of what we do constantly evolves, be that the technical environment in which we operate, the changing dynamics of the asset classes we serve, as well as the technology that supports us. That's what makes our roles interesting and dare I say exciting. Okay, no, thank you. That definitely does sound exciting, Ronnie. Thank you so much for joining me today. And it's been fascinating to explore the funds landscape through the trustee and depository lens and to really bring to life the impacts that we're seeing from changes such as digital, ESG and private assets and the response of regulators globally. If clients do have questions on any of the topics covered, please follow up with your HSBC representative. Gabriella, back to you. Thanks. Thanks so much, Vary and Ronnie. It's been really interesting for me too to explore the topic. I would like to thank all of you for listening to this edition in our series of Reg Talks podcasts. We hope that you enjoyed learning more about the evolving funds landscape through the lens of the trustee and depository. Stay tuned for more from our podcasts as we explore more trends in the coming weeks. Thank you for listening today. This has been HSBC Global Viewpoint, Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you've heard in this podcast or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com.